Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. You have the preaching of the Word of God. You have the wonderful voice of God speaking to you. Don't let it just run off your back like water on a duck's back. No, it should produce in us a holy result. We've thought about the mercies of God and we've comprehended those mercies. And as a response, we're giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a a total commitment to Christ. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see. You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and feet. Does God have all of us, including our time and resources? Are we fully living for Him? In today's study, Pastor Ed will teach us that it's a total commitment when we choose to follow God. When we understand all that God has done for us, it should lead us to worship Him. We should be motivated to love and serve Him with all that we have. It's an everyday commitment to die to self and live for Christ. We are often more willing to give gifts to God than to give ourselves fully to Him. God wants us, not our things. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Motivated by Mercy. Building in faith. Uh, I read a story in Dale Carnegie's book a while back, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he talks in that book about a mill manager who could not get his workers to work. And so Charles Schwab came in, and he said, you know, I've, uh, he told Charles Schwab, the mill manager, I've tried everything. I've tried yelling at them. I've tried uh, rewarding them. I've, I've tried all sorts of things. Couldn't get them motivated. So Schwab says, well, how many crates do they produce? Do they make during the day shift? He said, six. So he said, okay, give me a piece of chalk. And he writes on the floor the number six. The evening shift comes, and they said, what's that number six written on the floor? What does that mean? Well, the big boss came in, and he wrote down the number of crates that the day shift produced. And they said, we could do better than that. And in the morning, there was a number seven written in chalk on the floor. And the day group looked at that and said, wait a minute, they think they could outdo us? And so that day they produced, it was 10 crates, and they wrote the number 10. In 24 hours, Charles Schwab increased 66% of the productivity. What motivates people? Uh, Napoleon said that trinkets, he meant medals, men were Willing to die for a medal or some type of acknowledgement or accomplishment. Well, some people are motivated by money. Some are motivated by power. Some are motivated by fame. Paul said, what should motivate us as a child of God, as a believer, is God's mercy. Our response to God's mercy, responding correctly to God's mercy. 
That's what this text is talking about. There should be a thoughtful response. When he says, therefore, in verse 1, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That word, therefore, is referring back all the way to chapter 1, all the way through chapter 11, where Paul talked about salvation. He talked about God's providence in bringing the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. He talked about God's plan for the ages. Paul is saying, therefore I urge you. And that means he's more than just encouraging them. He's really challenging them as a fellow traveler, as a fellow Christian. I'm urging you, I'm encouraging you. Think about, in view of God's mercies, to respond in a certain way. We need to contemplate the mercies of God. In Psalm 48, verse 9, it says, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Think about what he saved you from. Think about where you would have been, where you could have been. Think about what God has kept you from. I mean where your life could have gone. Think about all the times he's protected you from yourself. All the times he's protected you from the enemy of your soul. All the time he's answered your prayers. You know, there was a hymn, an old hymn, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. I remember that was the first hymn that I learned to song lead to. It was a... Uh, I guess two time, uh, it's like two beats, so you'd have to do the two beats when the old song leaders would use their hands to guide the congregation in their singings. But count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done, how quickly the blessings seem to escape our memory, how quickly we forget what God has done for us. Have you ever had the experience of helping somebody and then helping them again and then helping them again? And soon they forgot all you've done and then they just keep on coming to you expecting. Paul is saying, contemplate, remember, think about. But he wants you to do more than just think about it because some people can rehearse what God has done for them, but it doesn't change the way they live. See, that contemplation must become comprehension. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, we have the comprehension of God's mercies. He died for everyone so that those who received his new life, this new life, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. The more you think about what God has done for you and you begin to comprehend it, it becomes a magnet drawing you to God, drawing you to service. The more you reflect and you understand God's faithfulness to you, God's protection over your life, you really want to respond. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The psalmist said in Psalm 116, verse 12, what shall I render unto Jehovah for all the benefits towards me? What are we rendering to God for his mercies? 
Think about how he helped your child. Think about how he helped you in that financial bind. Think about how he cleansed you of your sin. Think about what the Lord's done for you. And there should be this response in 1 Timothy 12 and 13. Paul the apostle said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy that motivated Paul. He thinks about where he was and what he had done and what God had brought him from. And he says, he has shown me mercy. I mean, can't we stand up and one by one testify to the mercies of God? I mean, when he took pity on us, when he was moved with compassion towards us, when he relieved us of the distress and of the situations that we had gotten ourselves in. The candle of mercy is set up not to play by, but to work by. The candle of mercy is set up not to play by, but to work by. God's mercy, as you contemplated and as you comprehend it it's a catalyst to work for God to serve God the greater our comprehension of what God has done for us the greater our commitment to the will of God when I fully understand when I understand what salvation will mean in eternity when I understand what he has done when I understand what he is doing, when I understand what he has planned, when I understand his love, I am motivated to serve, to give, to live for him. So a thoughtful response, but it also involves a practical response. How do I respond to God's mercy? I thoughtfully respond. I I contemplate. I think about it. I just don't take his gifts and run off and do my own thing. I just don't take his blessings and forget what he's done. No, no, no. I'm going to just contemplate it. I'm going to comprehend it. But then it demands a practical response. Look at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. When you bring a sacrifice, that word offer is a technical word. It refers to someone bringing a sacrifice to the altar, and they lay it on the altar, and it's consumed, it's burnt. It's a total commitment. A total commitment. That's what he's talking about. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Oftentimes what we want to do is we go to this altar of sacrifice and then we want to take it back. You know, we come to the altar here and lay it all on the altar and then Monday we want to take that body back that we've given to God. We want to Keep what we've given to him. No, it's a total commitment that we're to make to him. Absolutely everything. What would God do if he had your body? I mean, if he really had you, what would your life look like last week? Or what would it look like this coming week? 
Oftentimes what we want to do is give God things. God wants us. Lord, I'll give you some money. So like paying them off. That's, I've paid my responsibility to God. Or I'll give you some time. God, I'll give you some of my abilities. I'll serve in this area, that area. God doesn't want just your gifts. He wants you. He wants everything you are and everything you have. He wants you. One young lady was struggling with the will of God in her life. She came to her pastor and she said, I'm battling with a decision. I, I, I just seemed so hard to do God's will. And what happened was, he said, I'm gonna write down a solution for you. I'm putting two words on a piece of paper. Here, cross out one of them. And she looked at the paper and one word was no and the other word was Lord. If you call him Lord, you don't say no. If you call him Lord, it's yes, your will, your way. I think about William Booth and all that he accomplished in the founding of the Salvation Army. William Booth was once asked, what's the secret of your success? And he stopped, he thought, he reflected for a few moments, and after a few moments of silence, with tears filling his eyes, this is what he said. There have been men with greater brains or opportunities than I, but I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. Years later, his daughter heard someone quote her father and say that statement. And she said, no, I, I don't think it was that. I think it was this. He left it all on the altar and he didn't take it back. Does God have all of you? Your time, your resources. It's a total commitment. It's not only a total commitment, it's to be a holy commitment. In Romans 12:1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Think of that, a living sacrifice. Now, it might be easier for us to die for Christ than to live for Christ. Oh, I'm gonna do it once and for all, I'm just gonna die. But to live for Christ, every day you have to die to self. Every day you have to renew that commitment. Every day you have to, again, put yourself on the altar. And here, William Booth was willing to leave himself on the altar and that's the type of holy sacrifice that God is looking for. It's a holy sacrifice. When we give him a holy sacrifice, we're giving him our bodies. Part of our bodies is our mind. Lord, I will think your thoughts. I will study the scripture. If we were to project on these screens the thoughts that you meditated on this past week, would you be embarrassed? Or would you... Be confident. Well, those are good thoughts. Those are biblical thoughts. Give him our eyes and our ears. If everything we watched on television or on videos or on the internet or whatever were projected on that screen, would we be embarrassed? 
Or would we be confident? Give him our eyes, our ears, what we listen to, our mouths, the things that we say, the things that we don't say. There should be praises rising to heaven, not only in the worship service on a Sunday morning, but it should be on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, all through the week, praising God, saying his word out loud. Our feet, our hands. Do our feet take us to places that are displeasing to the Lord or do they take us to the house of the Lord? Our hands, have we used our hands to help someone If Jesus had your body, if he had you as a living sacrifice, what would it look like this past week and this coming week? In Romans 6, 19, it says, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. I know the frustration of watching a church pour into a a person's life and that person turns away or the prophet that they give you is is a prophet that's like nil. They don't really respond to the Bible studies or to the preaching or to the prayers or to investment of a parent or the investment of a spiritual leader. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians 6.1, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Oh, you have the moving of the Holy Spirit. You have the preaching of the word of God. You have the wonderful voice of God speaking to you. Don't let it just run off your back like water on a duck's back. No, it should produce in us a holy result. We've thought about the mercies of God and we've comprehended those mercies and as a response, we're giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a a total commitment to Christ. Don't feel that because I come Sunday morning and I give in the offering, that that's, that's it. No, it's so much more than that. God wants all of you. He just doesn't want your gifts. He wants you. Text goes on to say, it's a worshipful response. A worshipful response. In Romans 12, 1, this is your spiritual act of worship. Now, if you have the New King James or the King James, it says reasonable. The reason that is, is because this Greek word could be translated either way. And it can contain really both meanings. The idea that this is our reasonable, rational worship or it's our spiritual worship. And so translations translate it one way and some another way. Uh, The first way, reasonable worship. You know, it's reasonable you give yourself to God. Think about what he did for you. He was born into sinful humanity. He lived his life and he died for you and he ever lives currently to make intercession for you. His life was about you. We ought to mirror that response back to God the Father. Jesus gave himself for us fully. 
That's his love language. A full commitment, a total commitment. He held back nothing. He gave himself. And God wants us to speak his love language and he asks us for a a total commitment. I like the old song that I quoted earlier, the last phrase, when I survey the wondrous cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What kind of response are we giving to the Lord? Oh God, I'll come to church when it's convenient. Oh God, I'll come and I'll give you when it's convenient. God, I'll serve you when it's convenient. No. His mercy in my life demands that no matter what anybody else does, I'm not gonna measure myself by themselves and and their attitude of their response isn't going to determine my response. My response is determined by this relationship where I have with Jesus Christ. What he's done for me demands that I give my very, very best. Think about it being reasonable, but then it also can be translated spiritual. And the NIV translates it that way. This is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, the New King James, your reasonable service. Both ideas are contained in that, I believe. When it talks about spiritual worship, why is it spiritual worship? Because when you present your bodies as a living sacrifice and Christ is living through you, the Bible says that he that does the will of God lives forever. It says in Revelation that when we die, our works do follow us. Spiritual worship lasts. It doesn't end when life ends. It doesn't end when this present world will come to an end. I believe that God wants us to engage in spiritual worship. We, in a moment's time, can be gone. Life ends like that. And life just someday will come to an end for all of us if Jesus tarries and we're not caught up to be with the Lord in the rapture. How are we worshiping him today? Oh, let it be more than just enjoying the worship selection that Pastor Craig had in the choir and the Wallaces as they sang. No, it has to be more than that. It has to be presenting our bodies on the altar of sacrifice and saying, God, you have everything. See, we cannot worship God according to our dictates and our preferences. If we're going to worship him, we must worship him as he's commanded. Worship that costs you nothing is worth exactly that, nothing. Worship that is significant is a worship that says, oh Lord, here I am, I commit myself to you. I will live for you every day, every moment, every hour of my life. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. 
gain what he cannot lose. There are some who might believe that the life of a Christian begins and ends at the altar. Maybe that's you. Maybe you accepted Jesus as a child, but your life hasn't changed since then. Our relationship with God is so much more than just a profession. It's a walk, daily. Pastor Ed is currently teaching a five-part series entitled, Walking in Our Salvation, which we hope will encourage you to walk with Jesus daily. Building in Faith is the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you can find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith and to access the archive of messages, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or, if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Building in Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Building in Faith. Your